Since the beginning of Willow, every five years, I take the three other founding couples away someplace to thank them for their sacrifice and their faithfulness over the decades. I pretty much owe these people everything. And we just had our 35th anniversary as a church, and so that's why I was taking them away. And on the last night of our time together with these other couples, the four of us guys uh, who have worked together through the whole 35 years, we started taking bets on whether or not we'd all still be around for Willow's 40th anniversary. Who would be the first of us to bail out or go senile, start drooling, go soft, <laughs> retire early or whatever. Then it got all quiet around the table, and one guy said, why couldn't our next five years be our best years as leaders? Why couldn't we make a pact with each other and with God that the next five years, the next 60 months, we're going to step our leadership up? Maybe we could read more about leadership than we've ever read before. Maybe we could stretch our leadership gifts, move out in faith. Maybe we could humble ourselves, purify ourselves, present ourselves more usable to God than all the previous decades. How about it? We start challenging each other around the table. Generated quite a discussion. Before the evening was over, these four guys, we put our hands together in the middle of that teak table, and we prayed fervently that our next five would be our best five years of leadership. And we haven't forgotten that night. One of the guys actually made some t-shirts and we wear them proudly. I wonder if God doesn't want to ring your bell today sometime here at the summit. You tell me why your next five years couldn't be your best five. All heaven would root for this. Your colleagues would root for this. The people and causes you lead Deserve your next five to be your best five. So it all really comes down to you, doesn't it? It all comes down to whether or not you want to give God your fellow leaders and the cause you lead, the absolute best leadership you're capable of giving him for the next 60 months. For some of you veteran leaders who are approaching the leadership finish line, my question to you is, why go out with a whimper? I mean, why hobble to the end? How you finish is how you will always be remembered, you know. Why not break the finish line tape in a full sprint and fall to the ground and vomit and all that they do? <laughs> but my challenge to you is don't end it with a whimper. And some of you who are just starting out in leadership, you could make a decision today that your first five years are going to be awesome instead of just average. But it really all comes down to whether or not you want your next five to be your best five. I suspect some of you who know me well um, understand that uh, when we were at the Leadership Summit and uh, uh, he shared those comments, it was a, a rather uncomfortable time um, because the last five years have not been my best five years. And there is something in our culture where we have created this mindset that somehow we're supposed to coast to the end. And I no disrespect to those of you who are retired, uh, but, but I think that suggests to us that we work hard for a season of life, and then when we sense that season maybe drawing to a close, we just kick back and coast. 
And obviously, churches have life cycles as well. And uh, when, when he made that statement, it just really prompted me to start thinking. What would it take for our church, for Caring Community Church, to have our next five years be our very best five years? What would we need to change? What would we need to do differently? What would we need to add? What might we need to drop? Who would need to step up? Who would need to keep pressing on? And as I, as I wrestled with that, I went back in my mind and I thought about something I said when I was doing the series on prayer. And I, and I made a comment there that in order for us to be a praying church, we needed to first be a bunch of praying individuals, then we could become a praying church. You can go to that next slide, Spence, if you would. Uh, and, and that prompted me to ask the question. And so as I'm talking about the church, I also want you to be thinking about that question. What would it take for your next five years to be your very best five years spiritually? Because if as a group, or excuse me, if as individuals, we are all striving to say the next five years are going to be my best five years so far spiritually, if that begins to happen in somebody over here and somebody over here and somebody here and somebody here and somebody else here, the more of us that begin to say, I'm going to do what it takes for the next five years of my spiritual journey to be the best so far. And friends, that's exciting to me because I've had some pretty good years. I thought, what if the next five years for me individually on my spiritual plane were the best five? And what if more and more and more of us in this room and those we represent began to say, you know what? I'm going to rearrange my priorities. I'm going to make different choices. I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. What would happen in our midst if we all said, you know what? The next five years, I'm going to pray like I've never prayed before. The next five years, I'm going to worship like I've never worshiped before. The next five years, I'm going to study the word of God like I've never studied it before. The next five years, I'm going to let people around me know that Jesus has changed my life and he wants to change their life. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to serve like I've never served before. You know, I've always admired those people who lock themselves in a room with 12 uh, kindergarten through first graders down the hall. I'm going to, I'm going to give that a whirl. Diana had videos on, on, she was watching something on TV this morning as I was getting around. And I, I don't know, what was it, crazy animal videos or something of that nature? And, uh, and it showed this guy, I, I, don't, I think he was on a different plane mentally for, for a brief period of time. But he, he crawled into the lion exhibit at the zoo. Yes, he was definitely deranged. And... And even after he got attacked, he kind of stood in there and continued to taunt them. And I kind of thought about the people who step into room 103 and, uh, just <laughs> and, and then come back next week and do it again. But what would happen if we said, I'm going to serve like I've never served before. These next five years, I'm going to sprint. What if we said, you know what? We've had some great leaders in the past in this church. What if we said, what if five of us, 10 of us, 15 of us said, you know what, I'm going to learn to be a better, stronger leader, and I'm going to apply that learning 
to my investment here in the church? What would it take for the next five years to be your best five years? So as I'm talking about church stuff, realize that you guys are the church. So for this to become true of the church, it has to become true of us as individuals. So let's go to the next one, Spence, and it's back to that original question. What would it take for our next five years to be our best five years? And in case you're getting nervous, some of you who know me well, this is a series of messages. I'm not going to cover all this today, so you can just relax. We may even get out earlier than usual because I'll just stop when it gets to convenient stopping point. But I, I wrestled with that after the leadership summit, and, and, and it continued to haunt me. And I had that image. Remember a few weeks ago, I had that message where the guy was crawling out of the hole, you know, and it, every time you start to get out, you get pushed back in. And, and, I, and I, I began to, to wrestle with some of these things, and it seems like every time I started to get really excited about what can I do to make these next five years the best for me and the best for our church, it seemed like something came along and kind of stuffed me back down in that hole. But I kept wrestling with that question. And finally, at a board meeting uh, a month and a half ago, I, I said to the board, I said, you know, help me with this. What would it look like? What would it take for the next five years for Caring Community Church to be the best five years we've ever had? And in my mind, when I ask that question, I go back to some of those early days when we, we were meeting in the Holiday Inn and, and we were just excited when we got to move into a church, even though we were in a closet in the church. We got to meet in a church, somebody else's church. I remember those days when we built this church. I remember some of the dimes we've had with Vacation Bible School and some of the other significant uh, celebration moments, you know, when we burned a mortgage and, and some of those kinds of things. I thought, what would it, what would it take for those, the next five years? 2012, 2013, 2014, for those to be the glory days. You know how we all tend to, excuse me, not we all, some of us older folks tend to look back at the glory days, you know. Oh, back in the good old days. You know, back in the good old days for Caring Community Church, I mean, we struggled. But now we look back with fondness and say, oh, wasn't that fun? What would it take for these next five years to be the glory years? Not something in the distant past. And as we talked about that, different board members shared thoughts. And, and then Dan uh, spoke up. Um, having served with some of you for a long time, uh, sometimes I can just sit there and look at you and see the gears turning. And, and, and I saw that with Dan. And, and so uh, we began to draw out some of his comments. And I'm going to come back to those in a minute. But I, I just want you to understand that that discussion we had as a board, and in particular, some of what Dan had to say, is kind of the foundation upon my comments. So I don't want to take credit for it. But, it. but as we talked about that, and as I thought about that question, what would it take for our next five years to be our best five years? I thought about, and Jason just referenced it earlier, I thought about the vision statement that we crafted uh, a few years back. And Spence, if you want to throw that vision slide up, that would be great. And you remember our vision. Hopefully, if not, if this is your first time, uh, hopefully you'll continue to process it. But it says, it is our vision as a church to create a Christ-centered, family-focused environment where people of all ages are invited welcomed and challenged to live out a passionate love relationship with God. Now, if you think about for the next five years for us as a ministry and for us as individual members of that ministry to be the best five years, it means to me first and foremost that needs to become increasingly a reality for us. That we as individuals and we as a church are increasingly Christ-centered. 
We are a Christian church, and, and what we need to do or what we do needs to flow from that. We have made the choice to be a family-focused church, and that means different things at different times. Last week, it meant that an old guy like me stayed up all night with a group of young people because that's important to who we are. And so for us to be family focused, it means we're going to make choices at times that direct our ministry differently because we're choosing to focus on families. That's why after 30 years here, I've had the wonderful privilege of going from being the young guy to being one of the old guys. Because we've had the blessing of continuing to see young people and young families come into our midst. So for us, for the next five years to be our best five years. We have to continue to strive to be Christ-centered. We have to continue to make choices that facilitate being family-focused. And then I, I dropped down it in, the, in the vision statement, those three words, invited, welcomed, and challenged. It means that we all need to be good enough representatives of Caring Community Church that when we invite someone, they have seen something in our lives that would make this church appealing to them even before they walk in the door. And, and to me, that burden rests on all of us. Now, if you're anything like me, you're going to invite far more people than are ever going to come. And if you're all like me, sometimes you're going to invite them time after time after time before they ever choose to show up. But that's a part of what it will take for the next five years to be our best. Then the next part of that was welcomed. Every one of us, not just Pat and Dennis or Ron by this door who are standing out by the door, every one of us has a responsibility to welcome people when they come here. And listen carefully, and I'm going to talk about this at greater length probably next week. When I say welcomed, okay, that's not just Hey, how you doing? We're glad you're here. That's communicating a sense of warmth and compassion and concern, not just for the newbies, but for the old timers as well. Because it is just as important for Ron or me or the Kissingers or the Turners or the Rubios to feel welcome here as it is for the new folks to feel welcome here. And we all have that responsibility. Some of you were here a few years ago when we talked about some of these things. Remember? And I showed you the seating chart for Caring Community Church. Do you remember that? I could sit down in my office with no, or come in here with nobody in the room, and I could write down which chairs you sit in. Because most of you regulars always sit in the same places. And when you don't, it confuses me. It's hard for me to take mental attendance. But friends, not that the Willericks have anything against the Ebbinghouses and the Chalmers, but unless they cross paths in the lobby, they may never meet even though they've been in, in a relatively small church. And friends, you know what happens. We have a, a fellowship time, a potluck, typically the last Sunday of every month. And what happens? We bust out tables, and the Rillericks sit over here, and the Ebbinghouses sit around a table over here with the same lovely people every month. 
Now, I understand we're all going to connect on different levels. But when I talk about welcoming, it's important for us to understand that's a responsibility that we all share. And understand me well, friends. It is, I wasn't planning to go this far in this, but we're here. I am stuck. There's no way to get back. Um, seriously, I mean, make, make fun, all right, but seriously. Because we have the audacity to call ourselves Caring Community Church, when people walk through our doors, they have an unspoken expectation that we care. And that burden rests on each and every one of us. Because I can guarantee you, if someone comes and the professional Christian is the only one who lavishes care upon them, the likelihood they will feel welcomed goes down in a huge extent, to a huge extent. Understand, that's on all of us. And then there's the third, invited, welcomed, and challenged to live out a passionate love relationship with God. Friends, it's great when we feel welcome here. It's great when we feel a sense of community and a sense of connection, when we love on each other, when we care for each other. But the bottom line is, our goal is to see each and every one of us be challenged and accept the challenge and strive to live out a passionate love relationship with God. Not just a, oh, God's okay. But friends, some of you were in the room over the period of meetings when we hammered out that vision statement. And some of you know that that word passionate was kind of a sticking point that we had to talk through. But it was crucial to me that we understand that our goal, our vision, is not just a relationship with God, but a passionate love relationship with God that inspires us to live differently. So when I think about what it will take for our next five years to be our best, it starts for me with the vision statement. And as I process that vision statement, and as I processed uh, some of the comments that Dan made, um, any of you wondering what Dan said yet? Next week, Ed. All right. Just kidding. Um, but I thought about a passage of Scripture. Some of you who have been around a while have heard me talk from Acts chapter 2 before because I love the image that it portrays of the local Christian church. Um, but I'm going I'm to read through Acts chapter 2, uh, starting with verse 40 and, uh, and running through 47. Uh, and I think they're going to be up there. Yep. Uh, so just follow along. Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 40. Luke writes these words. With many other words, he referring to Peter. And let me just stop, for just a, as, a, as a quick reminder. I'm, sometimes I get ahead of myself. But in Acts chapter 2, remember the situation. Jesus has, has been leading these people for a number of years. He's been uh, arrested. He's been beaten. He's been crucified. And he's risen from the grave. He appears to, to up to 500 different people after he's risen. And then he has just ascended into heaven. And, and, he, and he encourages his followers. And by this time, it's a group from those 500 who'd seen him walking the earth after the resurrection. It's down to a group of about 120. And he says, you guys keep praying. And the Holy Spirit's going to come. And the world's going to change. 
So this group of people are, are praying, and they're confused, they're hurt, and they're, they're not sure what's going to happen. And they're praying, and then the earth shakes, and the Spirit of God comes down in what looks like tongues of fire that rest upon their heads, and they begin to speak in, in unknown language, or in, in languages where people are hearing them speak in their own native tongue, even though these people had never spoken that language before. And then people are drawn to this spectacle. And they sense something's going on here. Thousands and thousands of people come together. And Peter stands up and he begins to explain the story of Christ. And we pick up in verse 40 after Peter's been preaching to these thousands of people. It says, with many other words, he, referring to Peter, warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So Peter stands up, this group of 120-some people, the Spirit of God moves in a miraculous, mighty way. Peter says, you guys got to get right. 3,000 people said, okay, sign me up. What a baptismal service that must have been. Huh? What's that? Big trough. Big trough, that's right. Have to change the water after a while, but no, huh? <laughs> All right, don't go there. Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 42, or picking up. They, referring to this group of 3,000 people, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So this group of people bought in. They devoted themselves to the teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Friends, I've read that a gazillion times. Not a gazillion times, that's a gross overstatement. But I've read that numerous times. I've taught on that numerous times. But it gets me right now. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders... And many, excuse me, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. To realize that there were so many amazing things going on that the person recording this didn't even feel like it was necessary to list them. He just said, man, lots of awesome stuff was happening. Just so commonplace. There was nothing more to say about it. Verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Three things stood out when I read through those words against the backdrop of the comments that Dan made because I saw those same three things in that passage. Three things that will help to make our next five years our best five years. And the first of those was people. For our next five years to be our best five years, it starts in my mind 
with people. In the passage that I read, we had Peter teaching, and we had the other apostles who had the Spirit of God flowing through them in ways it never had before. We had people accepting the message. We had people living in community to the point that if somebody had a need, I sold something of mine to meet their need. We had people growing spiritually. They were committed to breaking bread together. They were committed to praying together. They were committed to worshiping together. They were committed to serving each other. And as they did all of these things, more people came. And as more people came, they also began to do those same things. So to me, it starts with people. But it doesn't stop with people as we read that. There were places involved. Said in there that they met in public places, the temple courts. But it also says that they met in one another's homes. So you've got people, you've got places, and then finally you've got programs. There was preaching, there was teaching, there was prayer, there was worship. There was service, there was benevolence, generosity, there was fellowship, there were miraculous, awesome things happening. There was outreach. Somehow, those other people who began to add to their number daily were seeing and hearing that something's going on with this group of Christ followers. And they were drawn to that. And friends, you can go to the next one, Spence. For the next five years, to be our best five years, those three things all need to be a part of it. People, places, programs. But note how they're all interconnected. If we just have people on their own, we're just individuals. We need to have a place or places where those people come together. Hence things like corporate worship, but Bible studies here, small group meetings in the home, for us to continue to see the next five years become more of what they can be. Places are part of that. But if you just have places, but you don't have any people, and you don't have any programs going on, you just put a for sale sign up and sell the space. If you've got programs, but you don't have a place to have them, hold them, and you don't have people coming, what's the point? People, places, programs. In the next couple of weeks, I'm going to kind of back up and, and break out in greater detail what some of those are. And, and I am going to probably spend more time on the people part Uh, than I am on the other two. But we do need as a group to think about the other two as well. But what I want to take time, and and I'm just going to take a couple minutes here. Um, I want to talk about the people, and you can go to the next one, Spence. What would it look like for our people part of the equation, for 2012 to be our best people year ever what would it look like for 2012 to be our best people year ever 
here's your chance to help decide what I preach next week. All right? I would love to hear from you. What would it take for 2012 to be our best people year ever? Anybody got a thought on that? So we have to, we have to start bringing people. So uh, for 2012 to be our best people year, a part of that is, is more people. Okay, thanks, Diana. Ron, did you stand up because you had something to say? I'll come back there. Everyone who's never invited anybody to attend church with them here yet would invite at least two different At least two different. Everybody who's never invited someone to invite at least two different people um, and keep inviting till they come. Ah, okay. <laughs> And some of you know Ron's story, and you know that he had a friend, Charlie Keene, that he invited over a course of many, many years before Charlie finally came. So good. What would it look like for 2012 to be our best people year ever? Mike, did I see your hand up? Or did you just have a tip for me? He he mentioned something there in his speech. He said, did the bell ring inside of you? Remember he said Yep. And uh, it's our job to ring that bell as a sheep rang the bells at the baby Jesus' birth. Cool. To bring the lost sheep in so the lost sheep can find where their home is. Cool. And this is where everybody's home is, here in this Christ-like atmosphere. And it's for us to ring that bell, get the message out, ring that bell, and bring those lost sheep here. Cool. So we need to get our bell ring, and then we need to keep ringing that bell so that others can find their way here, just like a lost sheep would respond to a bell. Awesome. Thank you, Mike. Somebody else. What would it take for the next five years, excuse me, what would it take for 2012? I'm not going to get to five years. What would it take for 2012 to be our best people year ever? Leslie. I think you were hinting earlier that we need to start sitting somewhere different. What I was hinting at, and and you're right, that may be a part of that, but but part of what I was hinting at was for, for community for our sense of community and connectedness to be stronger. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into much more detail on that uh, next week, and I'm so tempted to go there now, but I'm going to show some restraint. Di- what? Commitment, an increased sense of commitment. Just think about it. You know, we talk about more, and, and please understand, this is not about numbers, and it's not about attendance, all right? But if we were interested in seeing 2012 be our highest church average, okay? Uh, I think our highest average to date was maybe uh, a year where we averaged 131 uh, in, in morning worship for the entire year. Obviously up, down, but, but that's our highest. Part of that would be new people, but in all honesty, probably the easiest way to see that become a reality would be for all of us to miss one less Sunday a year. Statistics show that in most churches, and I have not done this against our church, but in most churches, your most committed people average somewhere between two and three Sundays a month. Interesting, isn't it? Um, all right, so, so increased commitment. But not just commitment to be here, but an increased commitment. I don't know what Diana was thinking, but I'll preach on that for a minute. Increased commitment to spiritual growth and development in my own life is, is to me the more important piece of that equation. So, and then you could branch into other areas. All right, so somebody else. What would it take for 2012 to be our best people year ever? 
Anybody else? Ed? People in the church spending more time together outside of the church just goofing off, uh, doing community service, uh, doing church-related activities off-site. Um, so you could expand that in, in a huge number of ways. All right, so good. Somebody else? What would it take for 2012? Leah? I'm sorry, what? Seeing 2012 new faces. 2012 new faces? You're scaring me. All right. <laughs> All right. So there, there you go. We talk about miraculous signs and wonders. Okay. What else? What would it take? Linda? Increase interaction with our community. This is a wonderful little group of, of wonderful folks. But there is a whole community out there that, uh, and, and you represent a lot of different communities that, that we barely scratch the surface in. All right. Excellent. Somebody else, what would it take for 2012 to be our best people year ever? Naomi? Being Christ-centered. Oh. All right, being Christ-centered in our everyday life so that people see Christ and people see the essence of caring community. They see the essence of being Christ-centered and family-focused when we're at work, when we're at school, uh, when we're in our neighborhood. Excellent. Somebody else? Any others? I don't want to beat this horse to death. Leslie? Um, I'll say, you know, in the last year I've had a lot of ideas and different things that we can do, and even though I might not have the time or energy, but sharing those with other people and trying to actually come up with a plan or find someone that can really take charge of them. Okay, so, so brainstorming creatively and then inviting others to share that vision with us and, and see, them, uh, see them become realities. All right, excellent. Somebody else? Any others? You know, some of the things... Oops, Mike. send our kids, but we should voice out and say, listen, this class could have been a one o'clock, two o'clock in the afternoon that allowed these children, whoever want to, to be in church. They're okay. not here in church this morning because they allowed something to take place that may not, maybe the people that are, don't even realize it because they're lost sheep. Mm -hmm. Okay? And when you say that, it pricks people's hearts to, to say, well, you know, I never thought about that. Maybe, or... Or maybe it pricks their heart to realize that some people have a conviction, and you're showing that conviction by speaking out. Excellent. And that's what Excellent. makes a church, and that's what makes people wake up and say, hey, that might be the church I want Excellent. A willingness to speak up in the community and make sure people understand. You don't have to be obnoxious about it, but just sometimes it is as simple as saying, I know some of you have had this issue with, with uh, sports practices on Sunday. And oftentimes if you just speak up and say to the coach, hey, is there any way we could do this at a slightly different time so that our family can go to church? Uh, sometimes they may say yes, other times they may say no. Uh, some of the other things that I thought about, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to develop these more next week, but, but I thought about for 2012 to be our best people year yet, uh, we all have to become, or increasingly 
numbers of us have to be committed to becoming disciples, become committed to serve. Um, we talked about prayer, and, and, and I'll be honest with you, um, maybe I had delusions of grandeur, but I, but I had thought after doing that series on prayer that I would see more of a surge in our prayer activity. But to be honest, at least if, if it's there, I haven't seen it. So I, I, I'm thinking, you know, for us to 2012 to be our best year people-wise, a part of that is for us to begin to embrace things like prayer and worship in ways we never had. Embrace leadership, embrace community, uh, embrace connection. So we're going we're gonna to work on that more uh, and develop that more next week. But I appreciate your input. And just so you know, I did have somebody or a couple somebody's taking notes uh, so that I don't have to listen to the recording to get what you had to say, uh, and we can continue to process that. Uh, you can go to the, the, the next, next slide, Spence. I, I don't know if you caught when Heibel said that, but talk about a bell ringer. It all comes down to whether or not you want your next five to be your best five. It all comes down to whether you want your next five to be your best five, whether that's individually or as a church. That's what it comes down to. And uh, you can go to the last one, Spence. And I guess I'm inviting you to join with me in investigating what that would look like with regard to people. Because obviously one of the ways we develop in those areas where we are talking about people is to develop our programming as a church to increase the opportunity. And I, and I just, I want to say one last thing about that whole people part uh, some of you know that I'm a Facebook stalker, all right? <laughs> Linda, Linda announced to a gathering last night uh, that I, I check everybody out on Facebook, but I never post anything. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but I saw a post over the holidays. And, and, and some of you saw it too because you commented on a, about it. But D.L. Patton uh, commented that one of his major, if not his, his most significant accomplishment in 2011 was that he read the Bible from cover to cover. And, and that's awesome. But what was more awesome to me is what he said next. 2012, now the challenge is to apply what he read in 2011. <laughs> and friends, you know what? For 2012 to be our best year yet, that's the mentality we all have to have. And that's what I invite you to do. So, it took people, but a part of that was something as simple as a, a program. I don't, I don't even like the term, but it was a P, and I was doing the whole illiterate thing. But that Bible reading plan made a difference in a person, and, and I suspect more than one person's life. And hopefully, those are the kinds of things we can develop. Pray with me, please. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to join together with this group of people in something as wonderful as seeking to make the next year and the year after that 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 the best year in our lives personally and our spiritual development but also the best years in this ministry just to thank Father of the prospect of five years from now looking back and seeing the lives that were changed for all eternity as Mike said the lost sheep who came home the members of our community that have been impacted and influenced 
because we chose now to make these next five the best five. Thank you, Father. Amen.